Hey everybody, my name is Morgan. I'm a recovering marijuana addict. Grateful to be uh, able to uh, tell my story tonight. Um, I'll start with I'm powerless over marijuana and my life's become unmanageable. But by working the 12 steps and being part of the Marijuana Anonymous Fellowship, and uh, coming to know uh, caring and loving higher power, um, able to stay sober uh, one day at a time. Uh, celebrated four years of uh, continuous sobriety uh, earlier this month. And uh, for all that clean time, I'm um, really appreciative to all of the folks um, that uh, help me um, every day. And uh, yeah, my uh, story starts as a, um, a child growing up in uh, suburbia. I, um, I was uh, coming from a uh, um, pretty well-off family and uh, my mom and dad uh, worked a lot. Um, I uh, I went to my grandmother's preschool, um, where you know I thought I was kind of king of the school uh, up until second grade, um, and then I went to a public elementary school um, where. Um, I was no longer a, uh, a a big fish in a, uh, a small pond, and uh, began to uh, you know feel some of the insecurities um, that were um, present throughout most of my um, my youth and young adulthood, and. Um, and uh, often was home for a very uh, contentious family situation um, with uh, really uh, two workaholic parents and uh, lots of anger and arguing. And um, it was uh, often, though, a, a very loving um, environment in between the fights, and I know that, um, you know, my parents and, and the rest of my family um, always uh, have my best interest in mind, but uh, alas, we're, we're all human, so definitely, um, uh, you know, had some some trauma that, you know, occurred, um, but, um, you know, overall, um, you know, pretty grateful for the, um, the, the childhood that I had. Um, part of, uh, part of that was, um, uh, definitely a lot of alcohol, um, um, mostly, you know, by my um, family members that I was around, um, and you know, thought thought of alcohol as something that was pretty cool. Um, and you know, when I got old enough, 
um, maybe uh, 12 or 13 years old, um, you know, started to, um, you know, slip little bits of alcohol uh, here and there, whether it was from my grandmother's uh, peach schnapps bottle out of her closet late at night or stealing a beer from the cooler at a family beach trip um, started to experiment a little bit and you know I think American culture and, and my family's um, uh, way of celebrating um, definitely led me to a lot of um, uh, you know kind of expectations for um, you know how it would be for me to be able to um, uh, imbibe the uh, the same beverages that uh, the adults around me were um, and it wasn't until maybe I was 14 years old, I think, um, that I first got exposed to marijuana. Um, I remember that my um, my cousin and my friend were um, going out to stay up late, and you know I thought it would be probably just drinking, but then there was a pipe that was brought out and. Um, and so that, that night I, I, I smoked my first marijuana, um, and I remember listening to Beck's Loser at the time, um, didn't really get the rest of the album, um, until a very <laughs> later age, but still remember that night and that song standing out in my head. Um, I'm a big music fan, um, and my early experiences with pop mostly revolved around concerts, um, you know, going to a show and, and somebody pulling out a joint or, um, you know, being next to a total stranger offering me something to smoke, and, and those were pretty euphoric experiences. Um, the music was better. Um, everything came alive for me in those in those experiences. Um, and around the same time, um, I was in boarding school for high school, and um, you know the kids at boarding school um, taught me uh, how to do a few things: um, dip chewing tobacco you know, sneak off and smoke cigarettes, um, do uh, Ritalin and Adderall. You know, we would crush it up on our desks and, and snort it. Um, and uh, it's one of the things one of my sponsors had me do uh, early on in my work um, with her was uh, to do a chart of all my drug use. And, and it was pretty... Um, interesting going back and seeing just for how long, you know, for how many years I engaged in, um, uh, you know, taking or abusing certain substances. Um, and, you know, on that drug use chart from about 
age 17 through 35, uh, marijuana um, was constant. So um, it was, you know, a lot of just uh, doing it with friends and, um, you know, just trying to have a good time, um, liking the effects on my mood and, and the way it made me feel in my body. Um, and, but, you know, immediately I, I started having some problems uh, surrounding it. Um, and, and my drinking was pretty heavy during that time, you know, late teens, early 20s. I got a couple of DUIs. Um, my second DUI, actually, there was a pipe and some pot in the center console and um, of my car. And for some reason, the, ju the judge just threw that out. Um, so that was a first little gift of, uh, you know, that where I did not experience the full consequences of uh of my actions you know even going back to that riddling use in high school i got busted actually another student turned me in for doing that um, but i got like the second chance you know having to take drug tests didn't get kicked out of school um whereas you know most people who were like get busted smoking pot at school um would get kicked out first time um so um, I, I progressed through college. I didn't um, do that bad in college. I was a little under 3.0 GPA. I attribute that a lot to, you know, the, the hard high school that I went to because I was smoking pot and drinking and partying a ton in college. Um, I was in a fraternity and was, you know, constantly looking for off-campus parties where, you know, we could go and do other drugs and, you know, drink really heavily, um, smoking pot, uh, going on um, hiking trips and, you know, playing disc golf and all these things. But, um, you know, then I, I started... Um, while I was in college, you know, uh, I think it was a lot in response to being hung over from alcohol. I would start smoking in the mornings. So I started smoking like before class. Um, and uh, I remember one professor saying, oh, uh, Mr. Vickery, you're here today. It's your uh, one week, uh, one class a week um, uh, schedule. Glad you joined us. Um, you know, it's a class that met three times a week, but I would only go once. Um, and, you know, I happened to pick a major in college that was sort of lax. And, um, it, you know, I was able to achieve some level of uh, forgiveness uh, it may have been undue, but you know. Anyways, I I kept up with what I needed to. I kind of slid by, and I learned a lot, and um, ended up graduating from college, and you know was just you know smoking at every opportunity that I could. Um, you know, and during the summers it was just all party all the time. Um, 
I, you know, eventually got some jobs a little bit later, um, uh, you know, after college where I was able to get high, like, while I was at work. Um, and, uh, I mean, looking back at it, I don't, I'm not sure, um, you know, if other folks were just sort of lenient and okay with the fact that I was stoned all the time because I certainly wasn't that good at hiding it. <laughs> and the pot that I had was, like, really good um, and uh, stinky. Um, and so I think the first few jobs that I had, you know, were – you know, just kind of ingraining the uh, the thought that I could get away with this. Um, and um, I really didn't have a ton of impetus to stop. Um, just felt like um, this was who I was and it was, you know, the most important thing. And, yeah, maybe... Um, you know, functioning, living that fantasy of functionality by, you know, continuing to have a job and working and um, being able to pay my rent sometimes. <laughs> but financially, it was just in horrible um, situations, you know, with like racking up tons of credit card debt and having to ask my parents to bail me out and, um I remember one time I came home from Vegas and I had spent every cent that I had um, and I couldn't get my car out of the parking garage at the airport. I had to call my girlfriend to uh, come and get me in the middle of the night. Um, I was very... Um, frivolous or, or as a spendthrift. Um, and, uh, you know, today that's still something that I feel like I, I need to work on. Um, and actually, uh, I'm working currently the ninth step, slowly but surely. And uh, one of those is some financial amends to my family to, to start to budget a little bit better. Um, Anyways, back to the story. You know, I, I I was in my 20s and, you know, having a, a ton of fun a lot of times, but then also having, like, real, starting to have, like, really bad experiences with pot and, and other drugs. Um, and I had this... Um, myth in my mind that, you know, it was all the other drugs that I was taking that really led to these bad experiences and that pot was like the one thing that saved me, you know, it calmed me down and it cooled my head. Um, but, you know, looking back at it, uh, it, it really clouded my brain and, and confused me so much that, it um, it definitely kept me from um, being able to make good decisions um, and to see 
that um, you know some of the um, behaviors and things that I'd done, the, the things that I was regularly doing, um, you know, I should maybe stop. Um, you know, and, and I remember in the, the doctor's opinion on marijuana addiction, um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that, that really stood out to me. Um, and that, uh, you know, if, if they're, you know, um, if there are negative, um, negative outcomes with, the marijuana use, and most people would recognize that and then stop. Um, but I am in that 9% of people um, who uh, became addicted um, to marijuana and as a result, um, you know, was, was not able to um, change my behavior to, to stop smoking even though I started to have the negative experiences. The reward center in my brain was more focused on the reward of getting caught and smoking it and getting high than it was on um, the rewards from a more uh, fulfilling and wholesome um, life, which is, I'm really pleased to say, is what I've been experiencing um, lately. And um, so I eventually uh, got married and um, had, uh, had a child and um, you know, I, I was I kept smoking pot. I remember when my wife was in labor and I was there to be like the coach. Um, I uh, it was difficult. The the you know labor took many many hours, um, and I was about to leave the hospital to go get high after like a day and a half when they decided to um, give my wife a C-section to deliver the baby. Um, and, um, you know, I, I was pretty much willing at any time, like, you know, during the first five or six years of my fatherhood to check out of that um, responsibility in my life um, in order to go get high. Um, so, you know, I guess I could say that, um, you know, there was, uh, you know, some enabling going on or whatever, but that's just an excuse, you know, like my wife was a wonderfully loving and dedicated mother from day one. Uh, her and I used to get high together a lot, but she put it down. She was not an addict. Um, she put it down without much trouble at all. 
and um, but I was not willing to make that change. Um, I felt like it was my right to still be able to go over to my buddy's house and get loaded, get wasted, stoned. Um, I, I can't believe the number of times I drove home from his house with expired out-of-state license plates. Um, and uh, I think it had something to do with the color of my skin. I'm, I'm white. I'm, I'm quite sure if, you know, if I was a person of color, police would have stopped me. Um, that's another conversation. Um, and um, so eventually, eventually I stopped going over to other people's houses to get high. Um, I got a job where I could work remotely. And um, so then I just kind of stopped leaving the house for much, really, um, and would get my pot delivered to me in, like, gram increments. Um, I, I would, you know, there was one of the ways that I tried to control my using was to, you know, not to buy a lot of it. Um, but, you know, I'd buy a gram and smoke it and you know, call the dealer back for another gram later in the day or the next morning. Um, and it was a pretty vicious cycle. I would stay up a lot of nights um, with uh, just me and the computer and the stereo and, uh, and some weed. And, you know, my, my wife would be inside writing me letters telling me, how much it hurt her for me to keep using and to keep, um, you know, behaving in a way that was detrimental to the family. And um, in one of those letters, she wrote, you are an addict, and underlined those words, and wrote, there is a marijuana anonymous for people like you. So the seed was planted. I had also gone to some Alcoholics Anonymous meetings when I got those DUIs back in my 20s. So I just kind of went and listened to people share at the meetings. And so I was just very barely, you know, acquainted with 12-step um, programs. So... Um, you know, after several more years of, um, you know, the cycle of quitting and then picking back up um, without the program, um, I, you know, I'd spent my last $20 on the bag of weeds so many times and um, was sitting there in my, my office with my head in my hands, and I thought, you know, there has got to be a better way than calling my dealer and trying to get high again. And uh, I call that my moment of grace. Um, 
our bottom and um, I went on to um, my computer and I googled Marijuana Anonymous North Carolina and um, found out that there was a meeting um, the next Monday and um, also looked at Narcotics Anonymous. I went to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting on the Sunday that weekend. Um, and then I went to the MA meeting on that Monday night. And uh, my life uh, was never the same since. Um, I I had come home, and I had found um, people who were struggling with marijuana just like I was, um, and I, for the very first time in my life, really my whole adult life, you know, um, had some hope and a little bit of clarity on how my my life might exist um, without marijuana. Um, you know, I remember reading the stories in Life with Hope and reading Step One in Life with Hope and, you know, hearing all these things um, that resonated with me and um, I heard people talking about working the steps and uh, even though the steps were read at every meeting I really wasn't sure what it was meant by working them until my first sponsor um, handed me uh, the Life of Hope workbook and I said, oh, what's that? He said, this is working the steps. And um, I took that workbook and um, and just started following the suggestions. The, the first uh, 97 days um, that I had in the program, uh, were were pretty intense. Um, my body was flushing all of the toxins that it was holding on to. Um, it was starting to unearth a lot of the emotions and feelings and truth that or inside of my spirit. And that was step one for me, you know, was coming to be honest. You know, as it says in life, I've had sometimes for some of us for the very first time in our lives. And I know I've been honest um, with other people before. But I'd also been very dishonest with a lot of things, you know, cheated on me, 
exams and plagiarized papers in school and lied to people about, you know, being at work when I was off getting high and um, a lot of examples of that. Um, so the practice of rigorous honesty um, and having the MA fellowship and my sponsor to open up with my truth, it, it was like, it was like God was taking like a jackhammer to my psyche and my spirit and just cracking open all of this hardened pain and um, and rigidity and fear that I had in my life. Um, and uh, the beauty of, of step two is, you know, the It was the fact that that y'all were telling me that this program was telling me that you know once all that gets broken down and I come to be honest about my powerlessness over marijuana and the unmanageability of my life, there can be a return to sanity. I didn't really know what that sanity was like. Um, you know, I looked up the definitions of sanity and insane, and I saw that, you know, insane, not of sound mind, right? And it's like, yeah, I was not of sound mind. I was making all of these terrible decisions in my life on a daily basis. Um, and uh, I came to believe that there was a, another way and that the higher power that, you know, I've, I've been raised um, with religion, had studied religion in college, um, and so the God of my own understanding, um, you know, there there was a lot there already when I came in to um, MA, but it it had been lying dormant, really, for a long time, a long time. And, uh, you know, I remember, like, in my first year, I would I'd be sitting there in a, in a, you know, in a spiritual practice and like tears would just start flowing. I would just get so moved by the connection that I was having with God. I mean, and I use the word God, I hope that doesn't offend anybody. Um, but with the, the great spirit that well, I believe that there is a, a spark that is inside of me, it's inside of everyone and every living thing 
in the universe and it's what holds us together. It's it's what holds me together. It's what holds us as a community together. Um, and it's it's not it's not human, you know. It's, but yet it is human, right? Because it exists inside of me and in all of us. Um, and the decision that came in the third step to give that that power a voice in my life again it felt so good it felt so good because I was missing it. I didn't even know I was missing it, really. Because I was so stoned all the time and searching for material pleasures. And, um, you know, I was ready. Came entirely ready. Um, and And then, you know, I had a lot of work to do. <laughs> And I had a lot of work to do. Um, the, the the steps are simple, right? But they're not easy, um, especially four through nine. Um, and I and I struggled with them, you know. And I struggled with staying clean and sober. Um, you know, I I went back out and and used again and again and again and, you know, I don't even know how many times, six or seven times maybe in the first two years. Uh, a lot of purple chips, I think they were. A lot of purple chips picked up at meetings. Um, but there was something about picking up those purple chips Um you know, it was another way for me to be honest with people. Um, you know, I, but, you know, the dishonesty, it, it persisted as well. I mean, I, I remember I used to chair a phone meeting and I just smoked and, and you know, lost my clean time. But uh, I don't want to be embarrassed and tell anybody that it just happened. So I, I hosted a couple of fun meetings um, right afterwards. Um, but, you know, I remember the very first time that this happened. And I called somebody in the fun fellowship at that time. And, you know, I asked them, like, what should I do? You know, and it wasn't a punishing thing, you know. You know, they're just like, well, what do you think you should do? You know? Like, how about just making this decision based on what feels right in your heart? Um, and in my heart, I was starting to get some integrity. Um, and people in this program are constantly teaching me about integrity. You know, right now, the 7 a.m. phone meeting, 
is really my my home group kind of. I mean, I go every morning if I get up in time, which most mornings I do get up in time, and uh, and we're all there together every morning. You know, so freaking cool um, to all be together. Um, and uh, there's a, a new um, meeting here in the town that I live in face-to-face. I'm getting to know some of the folks in recovery where I live now. Um, and it's really, uh, it's really nice. Um, I think the last couple of things I'll, I'll talk about are uh, sponsorship and prayer and meditation. You know, the uh, steps 11 and 12. Um, um, my prayer and meditation practice is so important to me. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful for all of the different opportunities that I have, the different methods. Um, you know, my, I have some prayer cards um, that are on index cards that I take out and and just, you know, go through those, try to go as slowly as my impatient brain will let me. Um, and, uh, and I also do, like, a breathing uh, focus meditation a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, this makes me think that, like, the heart of my program right now is to let go and let God. Um, early on, I thought it was all about figuring it out. Um, one of my sponsors told me once, uh, figure it out is not a 12-step saying. Let go and let God, that is a 12-step saying. And, um, you know, one of the ways that, that God directs me in life these days is to be a sponsor uh, for some just wonderful men in this program. And I'm just so happy and honored to work with. Um, and I'm, you know, really grateful for my sponsor. It's, it's such an important part of the program for me. Um, and... Uh, you know, we really get deep. You know, it's I I feel like um, there's there's so much that I get out of it. Um, I, I trust that they are too. You know, because we just make it one day at a time together without marijuana. Um, it's a beautiful thing. So I think I'm going to stop there and really appreciate the opportunity uh, to tell my story. I love y'all. Peace.